2006, November 13th. Today is Lecture 35, The Deserts of Mars, which will begin in just a moment. Now, we've been discussing the terrestrial planets, and we're going sort of on an inside-out tour of the inner solar system. We saw Mercury, which is beaten up, old cratered surface. It's only got a primary crust. We saw Venus, which has got a primary and a secondary crust, evidence it was repaved about 500 million years ago, as the, the morning question did. We've already talked extensively in the previous unit about the Earth, the fact that the Earth, in fact, has had its surface continually repaved. In fact, it's gone beyond a secondary crust up to a tertiary crust and so on. Now we're going to see the last of the terrestrial planets, a very different world than we've seen before. We're going to visit the desert planet of Mars. The key ideas today are as follows. Mars, of course, is the fourth planet in order from the Sun. It's about half the size of the Earth, and it has two moons two little irregular bodies named Phobos and Deimos. The atmosphere of Earth, um, sorry, Earth, the atmosphere of Mars is a very, very thin, bone-dry carbon dioxide atmosphere. Again, very different from what we saw on the Earth and also very different than what we saw on Venus. And we'll say a few words about why that difference is may, may be the case. We're also then going to spend most of our time in this class talking about the surface of Mars. What does the actual solid surface look like? We're going to find it consists of cratered highlands and low-lying plains. We're going to see polar caps. It actually has some weather on it, where we have ices made not only of water ice, but carbon dioxide ice, or dry ice. We're going to see a lot of extinct volcanoes on the surface of Venus, uh, surface of Mars. Oh, I don't really have other plants on my brain today, which are going to give us some evidence of the past tectonism. On this, on this world, but they're going to be of a particular type, as we'll see, not kind of, we don't see chains, we in fact see hotspot volcanoes. And we're going to see, finally, the most intriguing ter terrain features on Mars. We're going to see very, very deep canyons, and we're going to see flow channels, which are showing evidence of flowing liquid water. And that will bring us, at the end of the lecture, to a discussion on the new discoveries on the surface of Mars from both orbiting and robotic spacecraft on the surface, that Mars may, in fact, have had a warm and rather wet past during the first billion or so years of its existence. And there is increasing evidence for there having been liquid standing water on the surface of Mars. It isn't there today, but it was in some time in the past. And it's only tantalizing clues so far, but very interesting new results in the last year or so, especially from the Mars landers and the Mars orbiters. I'm going to alter these first couple slides. I realize in listening, I listen to the podcast recordings not because I like hearing my own voice. Believe me, you never want to listen to your own voice. Um, but when I listen to them is to try to find out. I've been running a little late on the lectures and try to find out where I'm getting bogged. So I'm changing these because I really get bogged down on these. Mars is the fourth planet out from the sun. It has a fairly elliptical orbit. Its orbit is about one and a half astronomical units, and it takes about 1.9 years to go around the sun. This really is going to mark, in a sense, the terminus of the, re the realm of the terrestrial planets. We're going to then make, make a jump to Jupiter out at five astronomical units, and in between are not going to be individual planets per se, only the dwarf planet Ceres and a number of smaller asteroids. So Mars sits there in sort of the edge of the terrestrial planet zone. In comparison of size, here's a nice scale picture of the Earth on the, on the left and Mars on the right. Mars has a radius of a little over half the radius of the Earth, but only about 11% of the mass of the Earth when you work out all the details. Similar comparable densities and round numbers, but you can see not only the contrast of the size, but also the contrast of the surface appearance. When you look at a picture of the Earth, you see mostly the oceans. And you see Greenland and lots of water in the atmosphere in the form of clouds. But when you see Mars, 
you are barely sensible of its atmosphere. You can just see little wisps of white here. Those are high carbon dioxide and water vapor clouds in the upper thin atmosphere of Mars. But you can see it really does look like a desert. In fact, Mars is a desert planet. It is completely dry with a very thin carbon dioxide atmosphere. Mars, unlike the other two planets, Mercury and Venus, do have moons. Only the Earth and Mars of the terrestrial planets have a system of moons. The Earth has a giant moon, the moon, but Mars has two smaller moons, Phobos, which is an irregular shaped cratered piece of junk here, about 14 by 10 kilometers in size, and Deimos, which is 8 by 6 kilometers. These things aren't even big enough to form themselves into spheres. They're very tiny. In fact, their composition and their appearance, they are more consistent with what I would expect for a main belt asteroid than for actual material that formed with Mars. And in fact, that's the prim primary theory for what the origin of these moons is. These are captured asteroids of Mars. Given the cratering and other things, the idea is that they were captured relatively early in the history of the solar system. They got into these capture encounters. They're very small, as I said, and they both orbit around, the su orbit around Mars fairly close to the planet. This is another clue that they were captured. You don't find them far out. For example, Phobos, the innermost of the moons, orbits only 24,000 kilometers above the center of Mars, and it's got a period of about 30.3 hours, whereas Deimos, oh, I did that backwards. <laughs> oh, Deimos is the innermost one. And I, whoops, cut and paste error here. Um, Deimos is the innermost moon. It's only 9,400 kilometers above the center with a period of 7.6 hours. And Phobos is the outer one with an orbit of 23,000 kilometers with a period of 30 hours. Wow, I must have looked at that slide about four times this weekend. I got it backwards. Anyway, yeah, well, it happens. Um, Phobos and Deimos, you should recognize the names, so those of you who know Greek mythology. Mars was the god of war. Mars, when it appears in the sky, is a bright red glowing object. In fact, a lot of the accounts of the, of the names for Mars among ancient cultures is almost always associated with a god of war or a god of death. Phobos and Deimos were the companions of Mars. They are fear and panic are their names. Mars is probably the most explored planet in the solar system. It has been a subject of, of intense exploration over the last few decades. This is just a quick overview of some of the many Mars explorers that have been sent by the planet. Mariner 4, which returned the first video pictures from the surface of Mars, it was quite a surprise. It was Mariner 4 that actually saw that Mars had a fairly heavily cratered surface. Modern spacecraft have actually concentrated not only into like a flyby like Mariner 4, We've now been concentrating on orbiters and landers. The first la spacecraft to make a soft landing and survive on the surface of Mars were the Viking landers, Viking 1 and Viking 2. Viking 1 landed on the surface of Mars on July 4th, 1976, so it was the bicentennial probe. The Mars Global Surveyor has been orbiting around the planet and photographing the surface in very high resolution. But instead of just simply sending a probe, which has a little, little arm here like Viking, which can just reach out and scoop up some soil to sample it directly, people realized you wanted to have a, a, a lander that could actually move around and go up to interesting targets. The first of these was the Sojourner probe built by the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. It was a solar-powered, free-rolling free robot, which contained a primitive geologic kit. It did a tremendous amount of work before it finally basically died. Mars is very cold. That's really hard on electronics. and It's hard to keep them all charged up. 
The other thing happens on Mars is that the small solar panel only has so much, you don't get so much sunlight, right? You're, you're 1.5 AUs from the sun, but you also get a slow layer of dust begins to accumulate on the top of the solar panels and cuts down their efficiency. So that sort of a combination of cold and the fact that it sort of gets slowly starved for electricity is what slows down these things. But Sojourner was a marvelous machine. The most recent current Mars exploration going on right now the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter, which just in the last few months finished its aerobraking maneuvers and is now parked in its, in its orbit around Mars and beginning detailed mapping of the planet. The, the pictures coming out of the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter are the highest resolution pictures ever taken to the surface. They're simply stunning. We'll see a few, only a few of them have come out recently, but I'll show a couple in this class. We already saw one, that one that showed the, the Sojourn, um, not the Sojourner, the um, Spirit, or, Spirit or Opportunity, the rover next to the crater. That's incredible resolution. The Europeans have gotten into the game with the Mars Express Orbiter, which also carries ground-penetrating radar. Both of these spacecraft contain ground-penetrating radar, which will become important, as we see in a moment. And then my current two favorite probes on the surface of Mars, the Opportunity and Spirit rovers, that have far exceeded their design lifetime. They've managed to actually have enough solar power to actually still keep going. They've during the winter time, they park them on slopes and actually use them so they can get a little bit more sun angle on them. They've traveled far further than any robot on any planet anywhere and have returned some absolutely marvelous results. These things are little geologic robots, and they're really responsible more than anything else for showing direct evidence of the presence of liquid water in the past on Mars by finding hydrated minerals in close-up pictures. These are absolutely remarkable spacecraft. Okay, well, we'll get more to the results of those spacecraft here in a bit. Let's talk a bit about Mars's atmosphere. I said it was a dry carbon dioxide atmosphere. You can see this very nice picture here taken from one of the Viking orbiters which shows suspended dust particles in the atmosphere in the upper layers. So you can see that above the otherwise cratered desert plains of Mars is a very, very thin atmosphere. The composition of this atmosphere is very different from the composition of the Earth's atmosphere. In fact, in many ways, it more resembles the composition of the atmosphere of Venus, but it's a whole lot thinner. 95% carbon dioxide, a little under 3% nitrogen, and about 1.6% argon, with only tiny traces, 0.03% of water vapor. It's there, and it actually ha plays a role, and you can see frost and clouds on Mars due to this, but Mars is extremely, extremely thin, whereas we saw on Venus it was a hot, heavy carbon dioxide atmosphere, and Mars it's an extremely thin carbon dioxide atmosphere. In fact, the atmospheric pressure is 0.007 Earth atmospheres. That's equivalent to what we see in air pressure if you go up 30 kilometers in altitude. So go up to 30,000 meters, that's about what the Earth would be like, whereas down, that's what it's like down on the surface of Mars. It's very thin and very, very cold. This pressure here of 0.007 Earth atmospheres is very important. It turns out as if you go from warm and high pressure atmosphere and you drop the pressure off, you eventually drop below a pressure, the dividing line's around 1% of the atmospheric pressure of the Earth, water can no longer exist in a liquid form. If you had ice, for example, on the surface and the ice began to melt, it won't melt into a liquid. It actually sublimates into a gas at low pressure. So there's this little place where liquid water actually cannot exist for any appreciable time. If you had any liquid water on the surface in the present day Mars, it would evaporate very, very rapidly. So water can only exist on Mars either as a solid in the form of ice or as a gas in the form of water vapor. It can't exist as a liquid at these very, very low pressures. It's very important for why we don't expect to see any liquid water on the surface of Mars now.
If we wanted to have liquid water on Mars, we would have to have an epoch when the atmosphere was not only warmer, but it was heavier and higher pressure. So that's what we might think in the past is the case, but certainly is not the case now. Mars' atmosphere has certainly evolved. There certainly was probably warm enough for liquid water to exist during the first billion years. We think that Mars and Venus and the Earth all had the same starting point. They should have all about the same primordial atmospheres, mostly carbon dioxide and water vapor. There's certainly signs of lots of volcanism on Mars, certainly volcanism in the past. We know that volcanism on the Earth belches out lots of gases, and so we expect the same to happen on Mars. There's nothing different about the composition of Mars that would suggest otherwise. So the question becomes, what was Mars' atmosphere like in the past, and why is it so different now? Well, one possibility, of course, is there's a lot of carbon dioxide. If it was warm enough for there to be liquid water, water chemistry begins to come and play a role. If water chemistry comes to play a role, like it does on Earth, water can rain out, and when it rains out, it carries carbon dioxide with it, dissolves it into rocks, and you slowly form carbonaceous rocks. This is certainly one idea. The problem is we don't see many carbonaceous rocks on the surface of Mars. They're hidden below the surface layers at least. Now, as Mars is far away from the sun, because it's about one and a half times further away from the sun than the Earth, that means it receives one and a half squared, or about less than a half of the sunlight is received from the Earth. That smaller amount of solar heating means even with a modest greenhouse effect, Mars is not going to be able to keep itself warm for very long. Part of the reason for that is that Mars is going to, it's got a fairly low gravity. It's only 11% the mass of the Earth. And so it's not going to be able to hold on to its atmosphere in the same way that the Earth can. So there's two ideas. The basic ideas as to what's happened is that as Mars began to cool off, the water vapor in the atmosphere, the temperature of the atmosphere would eventually drop to the point that liquid water was no longer possible to exist, and the water vapor would begin to rain out, snowing or raining onto the surface, and then freezing into the subsoil. Once the temperature drops below a certain point, the water no longer melt, the ice is no longer melt, and you no longer have a reservoir for return of gaseous water, water vapor into the atmosphere. And so you slowly freeze dry the atmosphere. Now this is very different from what we saw on Venus, where Venus got basically radiation dried. It got baked dried by the fact that its atmosphere was so hot and so heavy with a runaway greenhouse effect. Temperature gets up around 700 Kelvin. The water vapor can make it into the upper atmosphere where ultraviolet radiation busts the molecule apart, and then it's too hot, the oxygen reacts and the hydrogen goes off into space, and Venus dries out. But on Mars, very likely there's a combination of that. We expect some of that photoevaporation, but there's probably a process that geologists refer to as sequestration. Basically, you don't lose the water so much as you sequester it under the subsoil, frozen into the subsoil. The carbon dioxide and nitrogen, because the planet was low gravity, probably steadily escaped over time. There was no more water chemistry to lock up what remaining carbon dioxide there was into the crust, and so it slowly leaked off into space, eventually reaching this kind of equilibrium with a very, very thin, very bone-dry atmosphere. So after a couple billion years of this, during the first billion, billion and a half years of, this, of the history of Mars, Conditions should have been right for there to be standing liquid water. It was a fairly warm and hospitable place, more or less, but it very quickly froze out, freeze-dried. And so if I look at the Mars atmosphere today, it still retains some knowledge of the initial composition. It's mostly carbon dioxide and nitrogen, 
but it's cold and dry. It's basically gotten so cold and so thin that liquid water can no longer exist, and the only place we expect any water, except for occasional traces of water vapor in the atmosphere, is frozen into the subsoil. So if there was a lot of water on Mars, it's probably lying below the surface, frozen into the surface. Maybe it's warm enough deep in the interior to flow, and we'll look for some evidence of that when we look at the surface. So very similar starting point, but a very different evolutionary end. But Mars has, even though it's a thin atmosphere, it's enough of an atmosphere to still have weather. The daytime temperatures are not very hospitable on Mars. The daytime high gets up to around 244 Kelvin. That's about 20 below zero Fahrenheit max. And that's a warm summer's day on Mars. The nighttime can get extremely cold, down to 187 Kelvin, or about 123 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. This temperature is kind of interesting because this is below the temperature at which carbon dioxide begins to literally rain out of the atmosphere as dry ice. On the Earth, this is probably as cold as we ever get, is about 120 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. It occurs at a place called Dome A down in the Antarctic continent. It's rumored to get really cold down there. But that's the minimum. The surface, however, is going to be scoured by winds. There is a, a wind-driven weather on the surface of Mars. Any erosion that occurs on Mars is primarily a wind erosion. So we don't see water erosion in the present day, but we see what geologists call aeolian processes, meaning basically wind and scouring. These winds can actually be pretty good. They start out at around a typical speed of around 17 kilometers an hour, about 11 miles an hour for, for those Americans who can't do kilometers. I can't do kilometers. Up to about 31 miles an hour in round numbers. These are pretty good, these are pretty good stiff breezes. Furthermore, some of these winds, because it's fairly large plains and, and highlands, can actually begin to cover the entire planet. These are thermal-driven winds. They're driven by sunlight. They can actually kick up dust storms that can actually cover the entire planet. So you do see seasonal weather on the surface of Mars. Mars's pole is tilted by about 25 degrees relative to its orbital plane. And this means you're going to have seasonal weather. You're actually going to see seasonal variations. Now, the other piece of the weather is because you do have enough of an atmosphere to have a few particulates, little fine grits of dust. That dust, in the, when it's suspended in the atmosphere, can become a point of condensation for carbon dioxide and water vapor in the atmosphere. And so you actually do get very, very high, thin clouds on Mars. They're not thick enough to obscure the surface, but they do, in fact, make their presence known. They're very hard to see from the Earth. They're very hard to see unless you get close up with high contrast. We've been able to see it with the Hubble Space Telescope from space, but it had actually escaped notice from the ground until we got into space. Here's some examples of Mars weather. These are two photographs of Mars taken with the Hubble Space Telescope. On the left is a picture taken <coughs> me, on the 26th of June in 2001. You can see the polar caps of Mars, and you can see some of these high, thin clouds here. They basically appear as kind of a high cirrus cloud. It's what they're resembling most on Earth. And then in September of that year, as it moved into the Martian winter, or Martian summer, a gigantic dust storm kicked up that covered the entire surface of the planet. So this is now not a picture taken with the Hubble out of focus. These two images are just as sharp, but you can now see that the entire surface of the planet is basically being hazed over by a planet-scale dust storm. And these seem to happen every couple of years. Everything seems to be just right to cause this runaway weather cascade. It was really disappointing. I think it was Mariner 9 that went to 
went to Mars. Everyone was really excited about it. It was going to do a quick flyby of Mars and had this marvelous high-resolution camera and brand new, brand new for the time, radio telemetry that could actually beam high-resolution television pictures back to Earth. I remember being really excited hearing all about this. And the spacecraft gets to Mars right during one of these planet-wide dust storms and just screwed up the whole mission. Just, they just couldn't do squat. Now, you'll notice that Mars's terrain has these sort of light and dark regions. There is seasonal weather. You occasionally get these storms. Sometimes they're hemispheric storms. Sometimes they're planet-wide, which can change the coloration of the planet. Well, in the telescopic days, back before there were really high-resolution cameras and things like that, and people were watching Mars with their eyes, they would see seasonal variations, and they would see changes in the color patterns on the surface of the planet. What they were seeing were dust storms, but what they thought they were seeing were seasonal vegetation changes. And that actually gave rise in the late 19th century to the idea that Mars had life, at least had plant life. But it turned out that what they were really watching was weather. There wasn't any plant life. In fact, there's no evidence of any kind of life so far on Mars. Certainly not the type people saw. And then, of course, their imaginations began to run away with them, Percival Lowell and the canals of Mars and stuff like that. But that was an area where, again, the clarity of vision really makes the difference between being able to interpret the data correctly or not. They were seeing weather. They thought they were seeing plant life. Well, be that as it may, the surface of Mars turned out to be a bit of a surprise. What people were not expecting when the first spacecraft came by, well, not everyone was expecting, was the fact the surface is so heavily cratered. It really told us that Mars's geology was, in fact, fairly old. Now, if we can derive, to, to set the, uh, divide up the terrain into two basic classes. The first of these are cratered highlands. This is a lot of material that you see that's kind of like what we see in cratered highlands on Mercury and the moon, but they're very different because they're different geologic past in them. This is old, very, very heavily cratered surfaces. And in fact, it seems to be dominated primarily in the southern hemisphere of the planet is where you find most of these highlands. The craters show significant signs of wind erosion, especially. There's a few cases of water erosion, but mostly what the craters show is signs of wind erosion. We see craters that, first of all, in the heavier gravity of Mars, they're flatter than you would get on the moon, or they're even flatter than you get on, on, on Mercury. And then a lot of them have been filled in. In fact, the high-resolution imagers now that have been flying, orbiting the planet for the last few years show a lot of the craters in the cratered highlands are filled in by immense dune fields. We also see these highlands crossed by very, very deep valley networks. Some of these are places where just you get crust pulling apart, like in a rift zone, but there's also signs of liquid-type flows in the oldest areas. And then between them are very, very smooth terrains, which appear to be later episodes of volcanism during Mars's more active geologic past. As these volcanoes would erupt, the lava would flow out, it would fill in craters and fill in the space around the craters. So we can get an approximate look at the age of these terrains. We see it to be very heavily cratered. That tells us that most of those terrains were formed about three and a half billion years ago, during the first billion years of Mars's history, during the epoch of heavy bombardment. So Mars still retains a lot of memory of scarring on what you call its primary crust, the crust it was originally formed with and that was originally shaped by impact cratering. But that's not the only terrain. This, isn't, this only covers the southern hemisphere. If I look across the northern hemisphere of the planet, I see a very different kind of terrain. These are the long, low-rolling plains of Mars. Um, they're very, very lightly cratered. You don't see as high a crater density. When craters you do see tend, on average, to be much smaller. 
And so that's consistent with terrain that actually has been repaved since the epoch of heavy bombardment. So this is terrain which is three and a half billion years old and younger, often a lot younger. In fact, a section of the Tharsis Plain, as it's known on Mars, shows signs of very, very recent volcanism. The cratering rate is very low. And again, the estimates are kind of crude because you have to look at an exponential fall off in the cratering rate. But you, just like we did on, on Venus, that terrain appears to be about a half a billion years old or 500 million years old. So the Tharsis region was probably a sign of the last major episode of geologic activity on the surface of Mars. It's erased and obliterated most of the craters. We see very, very high volcanoes in that region. They're still quite high, have very few craters on top of them. And so this is obviously the youngest terrains. So what we see on Mars is evidence of past geologic activity but in the present day seems to have shut down, and that shutdown occurred in the last half a, half a billion years to billion years ago. But we started out with a very heavily cratered surface, a primary crust, and then have slowly repaved it up until about the present epoch, about a billion years ago. So Mars has had active geology in the past. We'll see this evidence. Here's a picture of Mars topography that kind of lays out that distinction between the, ter the terrain types fairly clearly. Um, this is a color orbiter map. It was done by using, instead of doing pictures, what the Mars orbiter did was use a laser altimeter. And so it actually measured the height of terrain features relative to the orbit of the spacecraft. And the coding here is red and white are the highest altitude terrains. And then blue is the lowest altitude terrain relative to some kind of notional geoid, as it's called. Basically, it's a notional surface that would be if you took Mars and made it a completely smooth sphere, what altitude would it have, and then you have depressions and um, relief on top of that. So you can see what the highlands here look like. Very, very heavily cratered. Lots of large and small craters. A lot of those craters are overlapping. But they've been filled in, and some of the areas between them are obviously vast lava plains. We also can see the highlands up here. There are one or two big craters, but you notice how they're very few and very far in between compared to the heavily cratered highlands. So not only is it lower altitude terrain, it's a lot smoother. Now the blue coloring here, of course, gives you this impression of water. It's a kind of unfortunate choice of color on their part. But if water was to be standing on ocean scales on Mars, this is where it's going to go. Remember, water always runs downhill. So if you want to think of these as like continental areas that are high and ocean basins as the analog with Earth, that's okay. But there really are important differences. Now the other terrain to notice is there's areas where the terrain is very high, like highlands, but notice the complete absence of craters on this terrain, especially this region here where things look kind of blobby and almost all the craters have been completely obliterated. This is the Tharsis Plain. And in fact, there's a line of three shield volcanoes, an immense shield volcano here called Olympus Mons, and another volcano over here whose name I've forgotten. This is the, basically the three craters of the Tharsis region. And you can see a giant rift valley in here. This is the so-called Valles Marineris that we'll see here in a moment. But notice how devoid of crater this is. So this is a high but very, very young terrain. This area of Mars has been completely repaved in the last billion or billion and a half years. So just by looking at things like the terrain height and the degree of cratering, you can actually piece together a lot of the Mars geology and a lot of the Mars geological past. Cratering is a very powerful tool. Cratering is a very powerful tool. We can see that Mars has had some huge wax on the surface. This is the Hellas Basin here, relatively smooth and uncratered. And then there's this guy right here, an immense impact feature. So some really big impacts 
hit Mars and scarred its surface in one of these deep splash impact basins. <coughs> so Mars had a very violent beginning, just like all the planetary surfaces. It has had some geology during the first portions of its existence, up to about a billion, or billion years to a half a billion years ago, and then it shut off. So we're not seeing the kind of active geology like we see on the Earth today. We see primary crust and we see old secondary crust, but we don't see a lot of tertiary crust. We don't see a lot of recycling. And this tells us that Mars is not going to have plate tectonics. And the fact that we have to go back and we see only very extinct volcanoes means Mars probably has no longer volcanically active as well. Its interior is cooled off and solidified in the middle, shutting down volcanic activity. This is a an idea of what the surface of Mars looks like. This is a part of a, a mosaic taken from the Spirit rover. Spirit rover was set down in a gigantic impact basin, basically the Gusev crater, which has long since been filled in by weather. You can see the surface of Mars in this particular area is a long, low-rolling plains. You can see a crater here, but it's been filled in by sand. Wind erosion is the primary source of weathering on the surface of Mars today and then filling in with large, large lava plains. And the surface is basically covered by rocks. You also notice the sky here looks a little pink. That's not an accident of the color rendering. The sky of Mars really is pink. And the reason it's pink is because the red color of Mars comes primarily from iron oxides in the surface, in the surface material. It's been blown into fine, fine dust grains, just about like powder, and it gets pushed up into the upper atmosphere, and that fine red powder scatters sunlight and gives it kind of a reddish, ruddy, pinkish appearance. So Mars is the planet with the pink sky. Now Mars also has a pair of polar caps on the north and south poles. They're capped by deposits primarily of carbon dioxide and water ices. The poles get extremely cold, and you actually freeze out carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere in one season or another. Now, because the tilt of Mars's axis is 25 degrees, when the northern pole is in northern summer, the poles begin to melt and retreat. They don't melt into liquid so much as they actually flow back into gases. Whereas the south pole, for example, in southern winter, gets into almost perpetual darkness, just like the pole of the Earth, and the gases begin to freeze out. This is what leads to planet-girdling winds. So you have a sudden release of a lot of gas into the atmosphere at the northern pole where it's sublimating, but in the southern pole it's freezing, so you have a sink. Well, if you have a source and sink, you suddenly get these planet-wide north to south in the northern summertime. You get these north to south winds that can scour across the planet and can kick up dust storms. When you get back into northern winter and southern summer, when you get to the other part of the orbit where the northern north pole is tilted away from the sun and the south pole is tilted, you actually reverse that trend and then you get planet-wide winds which flow from south to north. So the poles actually play a very, very important role in the weather of Mars. And they play a role which is very different from the way weather works on the Earth, where in weather it's a coupling between ground and air and ocean. On Mars, the weather is driven primarily by the coupling of sunlight against the poles, whether you're evaporating gas out of the pole in sunlight or condensing, freezing out gas in the pole that's in darkness. So it's a very different dynamic in the atmosphere. You tend to get north-south circulation rather than the kinds of east-west circulations that you see on the Earth. Now, volcanism. Mars clearly had a very active volcanic past. The Tharsis Plateau is the, one of the youngest terrain areas on Mars. It has tremendous volcanoes. In fact, it's, it, um, 
boasts the biggest volcano in the solar system. This is, this is the all-time winner. It's called Olympus Mons. Measured relative to the zero level of Mars, it rises top 24 kilometers around the surrounding plains. And at the base, from one side to the other here, you say, oh, it's like a little bump. That's 600 kilometers. To put this in scale, the entire state of Nebraska would be completely covered by this volcano. This is an immense system. Now notice that the volcano is a classic shield volcano. It looks exactly like, for example, Mauna Kea or Mauna Loa on the Big Island of Hawaii. One of these hot spots, volcanoes, it just piles up in place. But this thing is 24 kilometers high and 600 kilometers across at the base. That tells us that this hot spot was sitting still. This is an example of a stationary hot spot. Whereas on the Earth, because there's lateral motions as the plates slide around on the surface of the Earth, we get a volcanic island chain. On Mars, there was no such lateral tectonism. There was no sliding of plates. So when a hot spot formed on Mars, it just basically sat in that spot and just belched out junk until you built up this immense shield volcano. Now what you get is one gigantic shield volcano instead of a long chain. Now we think it last erupted around 300 million years ago. And the way we can tell that is that the sides and this gigantic caldera are essentially devoid of craters. There's not a single crater anywhere here. That's in fact not even an impact crater. That's just a small collapse down there of a lava tube. We can see lava tubes and flows. Very, very smooth terrain. And there's one or two craters along the surface of the immense shield volcano, but mostly it's smooth. And again, it's not a precision dating tool. It's not the same as radiochronometry, but it does let you put things down to about 300 million years. This was probably the last big gasp of volcanism on the surface of Mars. Well, volcanic, is, volcanic activity is certainly one way that, the, um, that Mars has been able to, to rebuild its surface over the years. But there's another area which is even more fascinating, and that's the appearance of channels and canyons on the surface of Mars. The largest of these canyons is called the Valles Marineris. It was named in honor of the Mariner space probe that first spotted it from orbit. It's a vast canyon. It's actually a rift valley. It's a place where the crust is basically pulled apart as the planet is, is basically cooled out from underneath things. Um, the vast rift valley is about 4,000 kilometers long. It's about 2 to 7 kilometers deep and can be as much as 600 kilometers wide at its widest spot. The Valles Marineris is sometimes called the Grand Canyon of Mars. However, imagine a Grand Canyon that is seven kilometers deep and is as wide as the state of Nebraska is long as its widest point and which stretches from Los Angeles to New York. That's the size of the Valles Marineris, 4,000 kilometers long, 600 kilometers at its widest point. This thing basically would scar across the entire continental United States. This is basically formed by faulting, whereas the Grand Canyon on Earth was carved by the, by the Colorado River through water erosion over many millions of years. The Valles Marineris is basically a form of crustal faulting. It's basically a place where the crust is pulled apart. It's an example of what we find on the Earth called a rift valley. The only similar rift valley we can point to on the Earth is actually out in Africa. It's the area around, for example, where Olduvai is. Now, in addition to the gigantic rift valley that we see here on Mars, the other more intriguing features are the flow channels. These are very, very deep channels and signs of floodplains where very large pieces of Mars's crust have been literally picked up and flowed out. 
Many millions of cubic kilometers of Mars's crust, Mars's surface, have been moved around by these flows. They form very, very deep channels, and they form vast floodplains. But there's a big difference, and the big difference is what we see are signs of violent, very, very rapid flows. We do not see the kinds of sustained, slow, meandering flows like, for example, the big drainage valleys like the Mississippi Valley would do. If you look at the appearance of the Mississippi Valley and the Mississippi River Delta, you can see that there's been lots of slow transport of sediments and the slow buildup of the Mississippi or, say, the Nile Delta is another example of that. What we see here are very sudden, very violent flows that probably only lasted a few days or a few weeks and then went away. The, the terrains on the Earth that resemble this are more like the, um, the, the, the scablands up in the, uh, up in the uh, northwestern United States, which is an area that was suddenly scoured clean by the bursting of a gigantic glacial lake at the end of the last ice age. There was an immense flood that occurred over the course of a few days that basically just catastrophically destroyed a bunch of terrain and then the water went away. It's very different from the steady state flows you get in river type flows. We'll see some pictures. This is, again, the Valles Marineris, again, to try to give you an idea of scale. Imagine Los Angeles over here on the left and New York over here on the right. This widest region is 600 kilometers wide. You could stick the entire uh, state of Ohio down in the base of the canyon down here. This is an example of one of these sudden flow areas. It's a place called the Ravi Vallis. You can see the head of the flow down here and a sudden breaking out and flowing downstream but you see how the terrain is very jumbled. You don't see that slow meandering. So it's a sign of a liquid water flow, but it's a violent catastrophic flow. It's not a steady state flow like a river. So it's a little bit different. It's not exactly what people were expecting. But do we actually find examples of actual river flows, steady state flows, or evidence of standing water? That's a big question. It's a question that people have been asking since the first flow features began to be seen from orbit on Mars. And it's been one of the primary points of, of work for the explorers that are now currently orbiting and sitting on the surface of Mars and really is the focus of most types of, of research today. The evidence that we get comes is twofold for presence of water on Mars. The first comes from the orbital surveys. We see things like the Ravi Vallis. We see very, very rapid flows of water that carve gullies, we see flow patterns that look like the flow patterns on the Earth. We also see layered terrains that look like layers of sediment that have been laid down in alternating episodes of flow. If there was a single catastrophic flow, you simply scour, the surface, scour off the surface and you're done. But if you see layering one on another, that gets to be more like cycles of sedimentation. So you get steady state flows or at least episodic flows over long periods of time, kind of like we see in our own Grand Canyon. But the real evidence for the presence of water is more direct, and it comes from the exploration rovers currently on the surface. What they see is when you look up close at the rock, meaning you know, this close, right, right in your face type of close, we see, in fact, that some of these rocks are, in fact, sedimentary rocks. They're layered, and they show signs of what is often recalled flow patterning. You see crisscross patterns. As if you laid down some mud, it dried, then you laid down another layer of mud, and it dried, and you laid down another layer of mud, and it dried on top of that. More interesting is where they're starting to also find salt deposits underneath the sands. In fact, they found one area where the salt deposit was actually revealed. As the, as the rover drove over what looked like normal sand, it kicked up the surface layer, and beneath it was sort of this whitish powder. They immediately, well, as fast as you can on Mars, turned the rover around and sampled the spot, 
found salts in the place, basically sulfate salts. Salts are laid down by evaporating water. You saturate the water with dissolved minerals, and as the water evaporates away, it leaves the deposits behind. The other thing we see is strong evidence from the rovers of hematite. These are minerals that form when saturated in water itself. They actually form in suspended in liquids. So hematite will not form by any other way unless it forms in the presence of liquid water. And they found very strong evidence of um, hematites. Other things they're looking for, they're looking for carbonaceous rocks, they're looking for clays. Clays are basically silicate mud laid down in layers, but the chemistry of the silicates have been altered by water. Here's a marvelous picture of one of these flow channels. This is more like a meandering flow channel. This gully, this is an amazing picture taken on the side of one of these craters from the Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter. And looking close up on the rocks, here's some of these layered terrains. Now we're looking at rock. The scale of the rock is about this big, about my size. So now these are pictures of remarkable detail returned by, um, well, this one, one of these is spirit and the other one's opportunity. I can't remember which one's which. But you can see this sort of layering. This looks like the kind of mud and gunk you would expect to find in a dry riverbed on the Earth. It looks very much like that, of course, with sand and stuff between. So we see flows, we see hydrated minerals, we see minerals that only form in the presence of water, we see salts, and we see them directly. But we haven't found water itself yet. There's been some hints of water in ground-penetrating radar studies. The Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter is now in position just this month to start the process of using ground-penetrating radar to look a meter or so below the surface to see if there's subsurface frozen soil, kind of like permafrost up in the dry, high desert valleys of Antarctica, for example. So stay tuned for that result. Well, of course, if there's water, the big question is, could there have been life? There's no present evidence of life on Mars now. There's no sign of life-type chemistry activity. But there is strong evidence of standing water. So a big question is, if, if water, Earth-like conditions existed a billion years ago, could some life have survived deep underground? There may be liquid water deep underground, and it would shield the life from the intense UV radiation from the thin atmosphere. We don't know the answers to this question, but this is one of the reasons why we are spending a great deal of effort to go back to Mars, and someday we may even send people down to Mars, but for right now, it's a place for robotic exploration. Maybe someday we'll not begin this thing with life on Mars, question mark, but life on Mars, dot, 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 and actually begin to describe something. I don't know what the answer is, but that's what exploration's about. See you all tomorrow. <laughs>